Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health, the podcast that shows you how to live a longer and healthier life, showcasing doctors, clinicians, and patient stories. The goal of South Coast Health is to help and inspire you to navigate your health journey with knowledge, comfort, and ease. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. I'm Patricia Raskin, your host. Today's episode is on weight loss and bariatric surgery. My guest is Dr. Huaco. Dr. Jorge Huaco is the Chief of General and Bariatric Surgery at South Coast Health. He is a board-certified surgeon and earned his medical degree from a medical school in Peru. He completed his residency in general surgery at the University of Miami Jackson Memorial Hospital and at the Swedish Medical Center in Seattle. Finally, he completed his fellowship in minimally invasive and bariatric surgery at the Cleveland Clinic in Florida. Welcome, Dr. Huaco. Thank you. Thank you. We're also joined by Darlene Butin, RN, who is a bariatric surgery nurse coordinator. She's a former patient of the program at South Coast Health. And welcome, Darlene, as well. Dr. Huaco, who is a viable candidate for weight loss surgery? Really, uh, the word candidate is labeling patients. So I, I will say who is more an appropriate patient for the surgery. An appropriate patient for the surgery is somebody who has morbid obesity. And morbid obesity is the category of this uh, medical problem that puts you on the extreme that really surgery probably is the best option for you to lose weight. Obesity is defined as a relation between your height and your weight uh, that gives you a number that is called the BMI. Anybody who has a BMI above 30 has obesity, but if your BMI goes above 35 or 40, you are in a category of morbid obesity. Those patients in this category of morbid obesity are uh, appropriate patients to have the surgery because they are the ones who are probably going to benefit the most with this procedure. Mm-hmm. What causes obesity, Dr. Huaco? So obesity is a multifactorial disease. Just to make it simple to understand, it's this balance between the intake, the, uh, the food that you have, and then the exercise or the calories burned. So there is a big disbalance between those of them. And then the more you eat and the less you exercise, you accumulate fat around the body and around the organs inside the body. Uh, But it's not that simple. There are several other factors that have been studied more lately that can contribute to gain fat around the tissues and around the body. Mm -hmm. So among these are genetics. If you have parents or grandparents that have been obese, you're probably going to have the tendency to develop obesity. Environmental factors are regards of the type of food, the processing of the food, the antibiotics and pesticides that they're using the food, they contribute to that too. Uh, Hormonal uh, factors, especially in women that are exposed to progesterone, estrogens, and several other hormones 
And lately, there has been a lot of research in regards of the bacteria that we have in our colon and a small bowel that in part can contribute to the changes that make people more prone to develop obesity. These bacteria are called the microbiome. And when the microbiome is altered, changed, that can contribute for patients to develop obesity. You know, there's a lot of misconception, and I've heard a lot of people say, well, you're just eating too much. You just need to lose weight and exercise more and eat the right foods. And what you're talking about here is that it's much more than that. Exactly. So, and I... I have to say, I, I have this conversation with my patients before and after surgery. And I don't know if you hear, heard that, but uh, there are a lot of patients that say, I, I don't need really much, but anything I eat, uh, I really gain weight. So, and then that's, that's, uh, that reflects how really this disease has been developing in people, but to get to the point that alters the neurotransmitters, the bacteria inside the colon and the small bowel, and then a lot of other hormonal changes that make the obesity to become ramping epidemic in our country. Hmm. Darlene, you had this surgery several years ago. Talk about the reasons that you decided to have bariatric surgery. Um, I would say the pivotal reason for wanting to have the surgery was wanting to be a better parent and a better nurse. I currently, along with working here at the Wareham office for the bariatric program, I still work as a critical care nurse at Shelton. And taking care of critically ill patients for the past 20 years and seeing the effects of obesity on patients and the community it was a driving force with me to try to better my life and make myself more healthy. So that's when I sought out the program throughout South Coast and met with Dr. Kruger and the team and decided to go forth with it. Darlene, what prompted you to have bariatric surgery? So I initially started the program in June of 2018, and I had surgery in January of 2019. I had a sleeve gastrectomy with no complications and the program, I felt really prepared me to be successful in my weight loss journey. Dr. Huaco, is that typical with people who undergo the surgery? Is it mostly successful? What's the success rate and what is the complication rate? So the complications are rare in the program. I mean, uh, especially uh, because these days technology has progressed tremendously. We use automatic staplers and then we use top-notch laparoscopic and robotic instruments these days. Really, the risk of having a complication after the surgery is less than 2% nationwide, and probably in our hands it's less than 1%. Uh, Mainly, we're talking about uh, complications like bleeding or uh, staple line leaks or a long run having something like a bowel obstructions or ulcers. Uh, That said, the success rate is really high. It's difficult to define a success rate because one thing is defining success rate after a year, which is probably close to 80, 90 percent. 
versus the long-term progress of the patients. One important part, and this is something, a discussion that I have with my patients, that we are not preparing our patients and we are not doing the surgery only for a year or two. This is a surgery that is going to give you a head start, but it's going to give you a head start and then you have to take over and you're going to be the one driving this maintenance of a lower weight over time. That said, the surgery has an impact, a tremendous impact in everybody's lives, but there needs to be an understanding that the long-term results that depend on every individual that goes through the process. Darlene, please speak to that in terms of your experience and the results short-term and long-term. Yes, I absolutely agree with Dr. Wacko in all those respects that you're given a tool to improve your life and your lifestyle and to make you know better choices, but ultimately it's up to the patient to work with the program and go to your follow-up appointments, go to your nutritional appointments, have your labs taken, join the support groups that are offered through the program, and it is a tool but the choices are ultimately made by the patient for what they do for long-term success. And I can account for that. It's been a very long four years, you know, but a great four years of getting myself healthy. But to maintain that weight loss, you need to do the work. What are some of the changes that you made, Darlene? First and foremost, diet. Your diet of your intake and your calories, like Dr. Wacko said, making sure you're having adequate hydration, exercise, having exercise being a part of your weekly routine. Those are probably some of the main points. Dr. Wako, do some of the patients or what's the percentage of people after weight loss surgery who regain their weight? So sadly, that number probably goes uh, above uh, 25, 30%. The main reason, again, is that Patients forget what the surgery meant to do to them. So the surgery is not a lifetime warranty that you're going to keep the weight down. The surgery, and as I, I explained that clearly in my first encounter with my patients, is that I'm giving them a powerful tool to lose weight in a short period of time. But the long-term results really are based on making appropriate changes in the way they live their lives, the way they eat, the way they exercise. And that's why our program is so comprehensive before and after the surgery. We have a pool of psychologists and nutritionists. And then sometimes compared to other programs in New England or around the country, we are a bit have a little bit longer program, but I think, and we think as a program, that we really need to give our patients the best tools to be successful after this surgery. Hmm. What is your experience in people using medications for suppressing their appetite? Okay. So the the success uh, rate, again, we have to define that as a like short-term success and long-term success. Just to give you like a comparison, if you get the surgery done, you will lose maybe 80, 100, or 120 pounds. 
if we put you on medication, you will lose 30, 40, maybe 50 pounds. So you, you put that in perspective. It's almost probably half of what we are offered to lose with the surgery. For both things, everything has a long-term prognosis and a long-term success rate. For a patient to keep the weight that they lost on medication, probably there's no studies in the long-term, but my understanding uh, is that in the future, these patients need to stay on these medications for life to maintain the results that Mm -hmm. they had. There was a recent conference that I attended, and then there was a big discussion about maintenance therapy for patients that lost weight. And then precisely with all the hormonal changes and bacterial changes that happen after bariatric surgery or after the patient is started on medicine, that seems like to maintain that hemostasis hemostasis, uh, we need to keep these patients probably in these drugs for a long period of time, maybe forever. Is, is this something, can the medication be used as a supplement after the bariatric surgery as a maintenance program? There, there's no research on that matter of subject. There's no publications right now because a lot of these drugs are new. But in our experience, we have a lot of patients that they were really successful for several years and they regained the weight. And we have uh, certainly an amazing uh, bariatric medicine program. And then we are sending at our patients with our medical counterparts and they're working with these patients that regain weight and having successful results of losing the regain weight uh, with medication. Okay. Your comments about this, Darlene, from what you're seeing with patients, you know, as a, as a bariatric surgery nurse coordinator, I mean, and you're seeing the patients as well as they're coming through, what have you seen in terms of success rate and also with maintenance programs, how successful they are through the program that you have, are also taking medications. What have you been seeing? Well, I see, I do a lot of the nurse education for the patients pre-op. And I do do follow through after they've had the surgery. So at the time that I'm seeing them for the nurse education workshop, they are very motivated because they're getting ready to go to surgery. So this is what they've worked for towards with their provider and with the team. So they're really motivated to get going. And then I do a follow-up um, after surgery. Once they'll be meeting the provider at that one-week appointment, we do a little follow-up to see how they're feeling. And at that time, they are encouraged to follow you know, the program. We do offer, like Dr. Wako had mentioned, a very innovative program for the patient to be successful. So we do offer the workshops and so forth where they can follow up with psychology and nutrition afterwards to you know, maintain their successfulness. So, Dr. Wako, it seems as though the program is really just as important as the medication in terms of educating the patient of lifestyle. Yes, uh, certainly. What I tell my patients is uh, 
the surgery is only a small part of this. this. The surgery is probably the simplest part of this because, to be honest, doing a sleeve gastrectomy or a gastric bypass takes about an hour, an hour and a half. And the recovery is certainly really quick with the technology that we use these days. That's the simplest part of this. Mm. What is coming after that is what it really matters for the future because patients are going to lose weight regardless with the surgery. But keeping the weight down and uh, having the appropriate choices is what is going to count in the future to keep a healthy status in these patients. Hmm. Dr. Wako, talk about what's involved in the surgery, exactly what you do. I'm going to try to simplify this, but I, in reality, it's a complex surgery, but we do at least two surgeries that are primary at South Coast. One is the gastric bypass. The other one is the sleeve gastrectomy. In the sleeve gastrectomy, what we do is downsizing uh, your stomach. So the stomach of an, any person is usually the size of a football that big. You can put up to a liter and a liter and a half of food or liquids there. So what we do with the surgery is uh, using a mechanical automatic stapler, we remove 80% of the stomach and then you end up with a little banana shaped stomach that usually can only contain about 50, 60 mls, like two, three ounces of food or liquid at one time. So that's, that's the sleeve gastrectomy. That's the simplest, more straightforward procedure. The other procedure is the gastric bypass. Um, in the gastric bypass, what we do is create a, a small stomach that is called the pouch, and then we cut the bowel and reconnect that bowel to this pouch so the food goes astray from the mouth down to the bowel, bypassing, that's the, that's the name, bypass, the big part of the stomach and the first part of the small bowel. That creates a lot of changes in the hormonal patterns, and then that's what it makes uh, the weight loss happen. How does that happen? Is it because it doesn't go through, the, the food doesn't go through the stomach? So the food are going into the stomach and the first part of the duodenum, which is the first part of the small bowel, creates a signals to the brain and the rest of the hormones in the body. And those signals can make you gain or, or get all this food converted into fat. So bypassing that part of the bowel and the stomach makes these signals to lower. So definitely uh, the signals that come when you eat are different and then that makes you lose weight. Mm -hmm. Thank you for explaining that. Darlene, did you find difficulty or do other patients find difficulty with eating less because they were used to eating a lot more and now they can't eat as much? No, I didn't find that at all, actually, because like Dr. Wackel was saying, the with the gastric bypass, there's an anatomy change, but with the gastric sleeve, 
you know, you're left with 20% of the stomach size. So, and there's that correlation of that fullness feeling when you do eat afterwards. So you do have, it's a protein-based diet, protein-based, low sugar, low carbohydrate. So when you do eat that small amount of food, two ounces, you have that instantaneous feeling of being full after you eat that meal. And there's that relationship that you have with your brain that the brain feels that sensation of being full. You're basically kind of given a shutoff point, you know, for how much you can eat. Dr. Walko, explain why it's important to have more protein and less carb and less sugar, particularly after bypass surgery. So as Darlene said, one of the main issues with the protein is you're going to be eating a lot less food in this process. So we don't want you to lose the protein reservoirs. What, what, what we want you to lose is fat, but if you don't eat much as well, you're going to lose muscle mass. And then uh, muscle mass is pretty much protein. The second reason is because protein makes you feel full for longer periods of time than any other food. So when you eat protein, your brain is going to have this signal saying that you have enough food and then that's going to last for a long period of time. Does it need to be animal protein? Can it no. be vegetarian protein? Yeah, correct. Can be vegetarian protein, but it doesn't really matter what the source of the protein. Meanwhile, the concentration in terms of grams of protein per meal are in the higher side. So as a rule of thumb, if you want to to have a healthy diet, I will say you should be in a high protein, whole foods, and lots of fruits and vegetables in your diet. If you do those three things, trust me, you won't have any problems. And one more thing that I have to add, probably we have to stay away from processed food. Any processed food has increased amount of carbohydrates and unhealthy fats. So if you stay away from that kind of food, you will be in a safe side. They often say shop around the edges of the grocery store. That's correct. We all know that, <laughs> but we don't do it yeah. that often. Yeah. Dan from Mattapoisett, Mass. was playing paddle tennis when it happened without warning. By the second set, I couldn't play anymore. You know, just started feeling tightness and couldn't shake it and it wouldn't go away. Dan was having a heart attack. Luckily, he had the region's most advanced cardiovascular facility close to home and was taken by EMS to the Heart and Vascular Center at Charlton Memorial in Fall River. I think I remember going into the operating room, the doctors and nurses were phenomenal. They walked you through it every step of the way. With 20 years experience, South Coast Health's Heart and Vascular Center of Fall River treats over 2,000 patients a year at one of the most active cath labs of any community hospital in Mass and Rhode Island. To find out more, visit southcoast.org slash heart. When you have a heart attack and you need open heart surgery, you want the best care. We have such a great hospital system right here in our backyard. It saved my life. South Coast Health, more than medicine. Darlene, 
What are you seeing in patients in terms of what they tell you they eat after the surgery? Is it mostly um, chicken, fish, beef? Is it more vegetarian? Is it mixed? So initially, we put patients, place them in stages of food. So when they are postoperatively, the first two weeks, they start with stage three, which is smooth liquids. They include broths, cream soups, yogurts, jello, sugar-free puddings, all again, sugar-free based diet and high protein foods where you can incorporate a uh, protein powder into some of those foods, protein shakes, et cetera. And then you'll be bridged to at week three, stage four, which includes cottage cheese, scrambled eggs, ground up chicken breast, turkey, ground meat, some some things of those sorts. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I think it's so important, you know, because for us to really hear the particular foods. And as I think you both said, it just depends upon the person too, right? In their preferences and their lifestyle as well. Dr. Rocco, I want to ask you about technology because you alluded to that when you talked about how you do the surgery. So let's talk about imaging. Let's talk about robot-assisted bariatric surgeries and how this makes it more efficient. How surgery has changed over the past 10 or 20 years with um, robotic assistance. Yeah. So uh, surgery about 30 years ago was mostly open surgery. What, what does it mean? It's like you have a big cut in the middle of your abdomen. And honestly, recovering from that cut was a significant matter. 30, 40 years ago, laparoscopy came. And then uh, instead of having a big cut, we started making little incisions where we can put instruments to do the surgery. And we have been doing laparoscopy for several decades now, and it has become better and better, better instruments, better staplers. So really, laparoscopy is very safe surgery and with minimal complications and minimal pain. Most recently, in the last five, 10 years, laparoscopy went the next step, which is using robotics. So when you do traditional laparoscopy, you use uh, rigid instruments that go through the little incisions. When robotics came, uh, we are using a machine that the instruments have more precision and the cameras have a 3D vision that make the surgery even better. And easier for the surgeon, safer for the patient, and uh, really, the trend will be that in the future, probably, all the laparoscopic surgery will transition eventually into robotics, just because all the advantages of using these instruments that make the surgery safer, faster recovery, and definitely for the surgeons, a lot more comfortable to deal with a bariatric patients. Can the robots make mistakes? Uh, the robots are not independent. So the robots are simply instruments. So the, the ones who are managing the robots are the surgeons. So when I'm doing robotic surgery, yes, I'm not in the patient, 
the robot is the instruments, but I am controlling the instruments. I am controlling the the robot. So the robot is just an extension of my hands and my thoughts, but I am the one making this happen. Can digital imaging help patients to see how their results will look after surgery? So more than digital imaging, I will say there are other means to evaluate that. So obviously the easiest, more straightforward evaluation is to see how your weight is doing. We have digital scales with densitometries, and then we can calculate the muscle mass and the fat uh, and the percentage of body fat. So those are the means that we usually have in the office to help our patients to see how they're doing after the surgery. Imaging is expensive, and then I would say it doesn't add much more value at least not now, with the, the way things are. Okay. I'd like to get both of your closing thoughts. And first, I'd like to go to Darlene. Darlene, talk about how the surgery has changed your life, as well as patients that you see. What are some common elements that you feel and you hear from others? Okay. So from my perspective, how it changed my life is... Um, I went into it with those initial goals, like I said, to be a better nurse, uh, to provide better care for my patients, and to be an example, right? If we're leading a healthy lifestyle and we look healthy and we're a better example for our patients, right? And being a better parent. So I was did athletics in high school and in college. And then when I had gained weight, it obviously made that more difficult to do those things that I enjoyed doing. So Losing this weight has definitely been pivotal in me doing those things that I like to enjoy again in life. So it's been, from my perspective, that's how it's helped me. What I hear from my patients is one story that I thought was wonderful, and it actually kind of made me tear up a little bit when she told me is she was so large that she was not able to visit her child overseas, and she couldn't get on the plane. And after losing her weight, she was able to go see her child in another country. I was so touched by that because this was truly life-changing for her, right? Saving her life by having this amazing surgery that can change her obesity, you know, and then able to have a life-changing experience by being to be with her family. So that was really uh, very powerful for her and for me. Do you find that most patients reach their goals of what their ideal weight is, or are they usually still within 10 or 20 pounds? Speaking for myself, I was, I absolutely did reach my goal. I was in 15 pounds of my weight loss. I lost 115 pounds total with the surgery, and I've maintained that weight loss over the last, it'll be almost five years. To account for what Dr. Wacko said with some patients regaining weight, 20 to 30, 25% of weight regain after surgery, I think that definitely does happen because, you know, again, it's a tool. And I think patients sometimes get more comfortable saying, okay, you know, I lost the weight and then maybe start making some bad decisions or bad choices, right, with their food or their habits. But for the most part, I think patients do really well with it and they become very successful. But a key point that I think I'll leave with is that you need to stay on program. I think the patients need to stay on program. They need to follow through. This is a lifelong journey. It's not a one-year journey or a five-year journey. It's lifelong. You need to follow up with your provider, stay on track, communicate with them because they 
the providers, and I can speak for the South Coast um, program because I went through it, that they want you to be successful. And if you're not on board with doing the things that you need to do so that you can continue to thrive, right? You need to listen to what the providers are are offering to you for suggestions to make improvements if you need to. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Thank you. Dr. Wacko, what are your closing thoughts? And in there, I'd like you to talk about why you chose this specialty personally. What brought you to bariatric weight loss surgery? So I think the main reason is to be able to help people to go through this disease that most of us, we didn't choose to have. Like the obesity epidemic in this country and in the world is just a product of several factors, as I said. And as much as we want to blame on behavioral issues and then things that the people did, this is nothing but a medical problem, just like a high blood pressure or diabetes or, or cancer or having a stroke. So the stigmatizing obesity and helping people to deal with it, that's what it made me go into this. I, every Friday, I, especially at the end of the week when I have a patient that is coming three, four years after the surgery with uh, still having like 120 pounds lower than the starting weight just makes my weekend. So it makes me feel worth, makes me feel that we are doing the right thing. And then just, uh, just having that, it's a little bit selfish, but at the same time, I feel like having this reassurance that we have helped so many people to take their lives back. And uh, as Darlene said, accomplish things that you couldn't when you have this 100, 120 pounds excess in your body. So that's definitely what it made the difference for me to go into bariatrics. And then I will keep doing this, trying to be uh, on the latest in every single way. And that's what we're doing in the program. We are not just a bariatric surgery program. We have the medical part now. We have a, a strong medical program. So if you fall for some reason uh, back in all habits, or we, we have people to help you here, and we have the medicines now. So we have a comprehensive program and you won't be alone, not before, not after the program. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Wako. And thank you so much to Darlene Bouton. Very informational, educational, inspirational. Thank you. Thank you too. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone, that wraps up this edition of Healthy Aging with South Coast Health, focusing on bariatric surgery. I'm your host, Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. To subscribe to this podcast, visit www.southcoast.org forward slash healthy dash aging. While you are there, we want to hear from you. 
please take the time to complete a quick survey so we can learn more about the topics for upcoming episodes that you are most interested in to live a healthy lifestyle. Thank you to our hosts, Patricia Raskin and South Coast Health. This podcast is brought to you by creative content developer Raskin Resources Productions and produced by Virtually You.